You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Uh, and today, we are starting a brand new series. We just finished the series on relationships, preached all the way through the month of February. Uh, how many were here for at least part of that series on relationships? Uh, how many of you have had some, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Uh, how many have had some really good conversations since the, the yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, how many of you sent the toxic podcast to somebody you know? I hope you didn't. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> we talked a lot about relationships and really what all of that was about was no knowing how to put Jesus at the center of our relationships. In fact, one of our values you'll hear at Next Steps, if you come to Next Steps, uh, is that we have seven values as a church. It defines our culture, it's who we are. Uh, But the very first one we mention every time is that Jesus is our message. And at the heart of everything we want to do as a church, at the heart of everything we do as followers of Jesus, we want to have him at the center. Jesus is the point. He is the message. He is the hope of the world. And the calling of the church is not only for us just to grow in our relationship with Jesus, but for us to make him known to the world. The world needs an encounter with a risen savior. And so that is our message. That is what we are about. That is what drives everything we do as a church, as I believe we're called to, uh, we are to carry Jesus to the world. In fact, that is the subject, uh, not only of every series, we like to always point it to Jesus, but we're gonna take the next several weeks to really focus in as we prepare for Easter Sunday, looking at the person and work of Jesus. And, And here's the subtitle, if you're taking notes today, he is not only better than you think, here's the title, he's more than you know. He's more than you know. No matter what you've known of Jesus, no matter what you've seen and experienced and heard, of Jesus, he's more than you know. And no matter how long I've been a Christian now, uh, I've been serving Jesus a little over 20 years, uh, following Jesus over 20 years as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, but also in ministry, serving his church, loving God's people. Uh, for almost that entire 20 years, I've seen the goodness of God. I've gotten to see in my toughest moments, he was there. In my best moments, I needed him just as much as my toughest ones. But here's the thing, I've never exhausted I've never run out of something new to see in the person and work of Jesus. He's so amazing. He's so much better. In fact, here's the, here's the amazing thing is that we are gonna spend all eternity getting to discover while we're gonna have great joys of heaven and great adventures and so many things that are a part of that life in Christ forever. There's gonna always be an, an inspiration of worship, not somebody having to come along and say, now it's time to worship. In fact, if you look at what the book of Revelation says, there's an eruption every time somebody describes a new aspect of who he is. And I want us to see Jesus more clearly as we go through this series. I want us to encounter him and know him personally, experientially, not just to learn about him, but also to encounter him for ourselves. And we're going to actually look at a story today from Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. We'll have it on the screen. And uh, we're going to look at an encounter that someone had with Jesus. It says that now they, meaning Jesus and his close followers, his disciples, came to Jericho. And he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. And there blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. 
So here's the scene. Jesus and his followers are walking uh, by Jericho. Jericho is, uh, we know of Jericho from the Old Testament, you know, the story of Joshua and the walls coming down. But Jericho is a very unique city. It's one of the most ancient cities in all of human history. Uh, but it's also uh, a, a center of commerce, of trade. It's, it's on an intersection. In fact, all of Israel is on an intersection between three continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. All at the center is this one region of territory where God called his people and, and from there sent Jesus to be the savior of the world. Uh, but it's in that place that there's this town, it's the city called Jericho, where people are, are moving in and out, are walking on this roadside. It's one of the busiest places in all of Israel, one of the busiest places in the world. And there's Jesus with his disciples at Jericho. And there beside the road is this man, Bartimaeus. In fact, it's almost redundant. Bartimaeus literally means the son of Timaeus. So it says, he's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. It's like saying the son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. Are you with me? Uh, and, and, but here's the thing. Timaeus means the unclean one. And so Bartimaeus' name, the etymology, what his name means is literally the son of the unclean one. And all we know of Bartimaeus is that he's blind and he's seated, sitting, begging by the road. He's at a major, major highway of, of traffic and, and movement in and out of the city. And there he's positioned himself. He's got a garment around him that he would keep for uh, warmth in colder months and that he would spread along the side in front of him uh, so that as people gave out of their generosity towards a poor man who is unable to work and help himself, he is begging by the road, places his garment that he lays there and people are dropping money into it as they go by. But this day is different because on this day, it's not just the, the, those that are giving to him financially. It's not just the crowd and the bustle and the hustle of the business of the city. But on this day, there's a different sound because Jesus is walking by. There's an excitement in the air. Have you ever been in a, in a room or an environment where there's just like an anticipation? Maybe you were just going to a concert and right before the band played, like there's this kind of hum in the room, like everybody's excited. They're, they're ready for what's about to happen. Well, that's the scene that Bartimaeus finds himself in, he's right on the roadside and he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, what we don't know about Bartimaeus, the son of the unclean one, Timaeus, what we don't know is why he's blind. We don't know why he's in that spot by that city at that moment. There's another story in the Bible, we won't turn there for time, in the Gospel of John, that, that Jesus is walking with his disciples like they are here, and they see a man who's blind from birth, and the disciples want to know why he's blind. And they ask Jesus a question. They said, who sinned? There's an assumption that this man did something wrong. Who sinned that this man is born blind? His parents or him? And, and they wanna know why, because all of us at some level, when we go through hardship or we have pain or we have difficulty, as all of us do in some area, we want to know often why. We wanna know why this happened, why they left, why they hurt us, why we failed. We want to know why. And many times we direct that towards God and we begin to think that God isn't good because of our why. We want to know why. And what's interesting about this story, in fact, when Jesus answered their question, he said, that's not the question you should be asking. He says, here's what matters, that God may be glorified in healing him. 
That's in John's story. He says, neither is the issue. Now, all have sinned, yes, but he says that's not the cause of his condition. Now, we know that there's lots of reasons why someone is born blind. Now, some people, our sin has consequences many times in our physical health, our physical body, certainly our relationships. And of course, sin has a consequence in our spiritual life as well in separating us from God. Well, not all of us deal with what he had in a physical infirmity. All of us deal with spiritual blindness caused by sin. And because of blindness, this man has to be led where he wants to go. He's dependent on the world around him. He's dependent on others to lead him and he wanders as best he can. In fact, now he's just sitting by the road and the question isn't why he's there, but I love about the goodness of God is that no matter the reason why, some people were blind because of the environment, the dust, the dirt, the wind, the the conditions. Uh, Some people were born there because of genetic issues and there's all kinds of reasons, but here's the issue. No matter the why, what mattered in that moment was what God was going to do. Because God does not consult your history to determine your destiny. It doesn't matter why he got there, how he got there, what Timaeus' story was, what the history was. God doesn't look at that and say, well, this is what qualifies you for a miracle. Whatever got you into the mess you're in, whatever got you into the situation, maybe it was the failure of others, maybe it was your own decisions, maybe it was a condition you received and inherited, but whatever got you to the roadside in need of healing, in need of freedom, the answer is still the same. Not why, but what God can do now, because God doesn't look at the past to determine your future. God says, I wanna do something now. And in this moment, Bartimaeus, hearing about Jesus, He cries out. Watch what happens next. Go to the next verse, please. Here's what happens in verse uh, 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out. It wasn't like a soft, nice, polite religious prayer. Because when you're hungry, you need food. When you're thirsty, you need water. When you're desperate for God to move in your life, that's what faith looks like. When you're ready for something to change, you won't stay where you're at. You won't be silent anymore. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Just, just, be, just be quiet. You're distracting from what's really important right now. But what I love about Bartimaeus is he doesn't care. (laughs) The opinions of other people are fine. They're not always bad, but here's the problem. When we let the opinion of people keep us from what God wants to do in our life. They warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. The world will tell you to be quiet because the world is perfectly happy to keep you by the roadside dependent. Here's the problem with spiritual blindness. In fact, Jesus described religion in his day as blind leaders of the blind. Spiritually blind, we're leading spiritually blind. That's why religion isn't the answer either. Are you with me? Religion's man's best ideas about God that actually don't need God involved. It's our rules, our lists, our plans, our programs, our buildings, our stuff. And and yet in the midst of all of that, if there's still spiritual blindness, what happens when you're spiritually blind? You have to have others tell you where to go. 
what to do, how to live, and to tell you who you are. I think we live in a time in human history where the questions are changing. It's, it's an old question. The question's always been, what's the meaning in my life? What's the purpose in my life? And because the world is disconnecting from the truth of the word of God and the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way, history is not even my story or yours, it's his story. And then he calls us into his story. But because the world has stopped telling that story and hearing that story, the biggest question on planet earth today is what is my purpose? Who am I? And if you don't know, you'll go to the wrong place and the wrong people and to the culture and even religion itself to tell you who you are. But there is a Jesus who has an answer. He is the answer. And he cried out. I believe that what our families need is Jesus. I believe that what our city needs is Jesus. What our nation needs more than anything else is Jesus. And it's time for the church to not be polite and quiet about recognizing that we need God desperately. When are we gonna get our cry back? Well, that's just not the way I was raised. When are we gonna get our cry back? Because the one who encountered Jesus on the road was not the crowd that was content but it was the man who said, Jesus, I need you more than anything else. Jesus stopped in his tracks. He's walking on the road and he stands still, it says. Verse 49, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. They called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. Like now everybody likes him. (laughs) And throwing aside his garment, the thing that he needed for warmth, that he used for his his dependency on others, the thing that he probably slept on at night. He threw that garment aside and he rose and he came to Jesus and Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? As if it wasn't completely obvious, the man feeling his way to Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I might receive my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And this is important. He followed Jesus on the road. Three points for you today. Number one, if you're taking notes, and these are simple, these are very simple, but I think it's the simplest things that sometimes we overlook, especially as we get used to Jesus. And I think there's nothing more terrible in the church when Christians get used to Jesus. What does it mean to get used to Jesus? Oh, we sing the same songs, but we're no longer moved like we once were. We forget how how on our worst day, he was there. On our best day, we still need him no less. And we lose our wonder of the cross and the sacrifice of a savior who left heaven for us to rescue us and lift us and save us from our sin, to save us from hell and to purchase us for heaven. We sometimes forget and we get used to the things that God wants to do in our life. And and I think we need, number one, we need to see Jesus fully. If all of us have the condition and the need of a savior, which is caused by sin, then, then when Jesus saves us, what does he do? He causes us first and foremost to see who he is as our savior, to rescue us and to put our faith and trust in him. And even as Christians, we need to remember, because here's what Bartimaeus hears, Jesus of Nazareth is there. And I don't know what Bartimaeus knows about Jesus. It doesn't tell us, but he knew enough. And you don't have to know it all. You just need to know enough. He cries out, he calls out, and, and he encounters that day that Jesus is more than a teacher. 
He's more than a figure of, of earthly significance. He's more than a religious leader. And, and, and in that moment, he cries out and he encounters something that Jesus does in his life. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Can I just elevate your view of Jesus? Because I think our worship is often a reflection of our view of God. Our prayer life is a reflection of our view of the majesty of God. Hebrews 1.1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by the, by, uh, by, to the fathers, excuse me, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. In other words, the final word is the living word. Oh, if we would just catch that. Uh, he says, in these last days, the most important thing that, that God's ever communicated, he did so by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, the world's through Jesus, like, like this is amazing, that Jesus who walked on earth, who taught, who broke the bread and multiplied the loaves, did all of that, who laid his life down on the cross, that same Jesus is more than a man. He's fully God. He's God made flesh. He's the one through whom the worlds were made. Colossians 1.16 says it this way. The apostle Paul says, for in him, all things were created, everything things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and therefore for him. It all belongs to Jesus. Go to verse 17 real quick. If we jump ahead, here's what he also says about Jesus. In Jesus, he is before all things and all things are held together by him, by Jesus. Hebrews goes on and Hebrews also says the same kind of idea in verse three, who being the brightness of God's glory, Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God and the express image of his person. I mean, there's so much there, but do you know what that means? If you wanna know what God's like, look at Jesus. That's, that's why Jesus would tell his followers, if you want to see the Father, you've actually seen the Father because you've seen me. Like, like you've known God because you've known me. Jesus is God made flesh. He's, 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 the live, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. He's the perfect expression of God's word and God's will. So if we want to know what God's will is, we look at Jesus and here's what he goes on to say, upholding all things by the word of his power. When was the last time you recognized that the Jesus you called on to forgive your sins is also the Jesus who holds your life together? And not just your life, he holds all of creation to the smallest atom. He holds everything together by, watch what it says, by the word of his power. That's pretty amazing but he wasn't done. When he had purged by himself, purged our sins. God said, you need a savior. We need a savior. So he sent Jesus to save us. And he fully accomplished for us what we could not do to save ourselves. Religion's generally man's attempt to get to God, get to heaven, find relief from suffering, whatever it is. It's man's attempt to be better. But here's the truth of the gospel. Jesus did not come to make bad men better. He came to make dead men come to life. And Jesus comes and does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he raises us to life in Christ and he saves us from our sins. He himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty. 
Jesus is our savior. He saves us from our sin. He heals us. Did you know that he's the healer? Jesus would go about healing and setting people free. He would heal the sick. He would heal people's hearts, but he would also heal them physically. He would heal their bodies. He would do miracles in their midst. Uh, Friday night at Encounter Night where we were praying for the sick and we were praying for people in need. I asked people, how many of you have seen a miracle of God in your life apart from salvation because salvation is the greatest miracle? where he brought you from death to life. And I asked everybody in that, that encounter on Friday to raise their hand and most of the room had raised their hand. And I said, the reason why I'm having you do this is because one, we need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, but also to encourage those who have yet to see that they too will. Because if he can do it for them, he can do it for you. If he can heal them, he can heal you. He set people free. Acts 10, 38, Jesus went about doing good and healing all, setting free all who were oppressed of the devil. There's a bad devil, a good God. Theology sometimes mixes those two up and we get problems because of it. The devil steals, kills, and destroys. And yet Jesus comes along and he sets people free over and over and over. And here's what I love about all of that. If Jesus, so, so when, even when I say that, setting free, like sometimes we have this idea of somebody else's issues that they need freedom from. Instead of recognizing that all of us, if we're honest, have something in our life that if that one thing was different or gone, our whole life would be better. Maybe, just maybe, that's an area that Jesus wants to set you free from. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know why I love that? Because if he forgave and set free from sin then, he can do it today. If he healed then, he can do it today. If he set free then, he can do it today. The same hands that laid hands on the lepers 2,000 years ago are the same hands that heal you. The same hands that bore the nail prints from the cross are the same hands that reach you and I and rescue us from our lowest place. That same Jesus. Now there's actually two things that Jesus did not do until after the cross that he offers us today. The, the first one was actually what he told his church when he rose and ascended into heaven. He said, I'm gonna pour out my spirit, the promise of the Father. Jesus fills you with the Holy Spirit. So many, I've used this analogy before, so sorry, those who've been here for a while, bear with me. But I believe the Christian life without the fullness of the Holy Spirit is like having a beautiful car with no gas in the tank. Yes, you can get out and push but man, is that not the best way to move your car? And the Christian life is not just principles and all the parts and all the things and all the right ideas in place, but the only thing that ignites the engine, you gotta put fuel in the tank. And the Christian life needs the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the promise for every single one of us. The same Holy Spirit that the apostles had is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have access to. The same Holy Spirit that the early church had is the same Holy Spirit that our kids can experience. In fact, our, this generation needs an encounter with the living God. The last thing that, that I just wanna say right now that, that Jesus did not or, or, or could not do, of course, until he rose and ascended is he came 
He's coming again. He came the first time for our salvation, but he's coming again at the conclusion of history to bring about the purpose and ultimate will of God in destroying evil and rescuing his people. And can I just remind you that when the author comes to the stage, the play's over. And there will be a moment, the Bible says, where, he, where, where heaven itself will be rolled back like a scroll and Jesus will descend and he will come again and he will come for you and for me. Jesus will step in again. And the Bible actually tells us there's a reason for a delay. Here's what it is in 2 Peter 3. I don't have this on the notes. Here's what Peter said, who walked with Jesus, who heard Jesus teach. He said, here's why there's a delay. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants the lost to become found. But Jesus is coming again. And he is gonna to come to rescue. He is gonna to come to set free. And he is coming to heal. And he is coming to usher in the, the final purpose of God in human history. Jesus is that, all that I've described, and he's so much more. He's more than you know. But my challenge to you is that you would experience who Jesus is. In John's gospel, John, uh, Jesus had this to say in John 17. He, he described what eternal life was. And in fact, in fact if I were to ask you what the, the, your definition of eternal life is, you'd probably say something like this. It means living forever. And yeah, that's actually a very good definition of eternal life. Jesus comes to save us so that we can live forever with him in heaven having our sins forgiven. But you know, Jesus actually added something to the definition or helped expand our definition of eternal life. Here's what it is. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. This is eternal life that they may know you. That word know, bear with me, quick word study. It's a Greek word, gnosko. Gnosko means to know by experience. So, so if I were to tell you about the Grand Canyon, that's one level of knowledge. But if I were to take you to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and, and maybe you did like my parents, when I was five, they took me to Grand Canyon the first time and then they pretended like they went off the edge. Yeah, yeah, I'm still dealing with that. Like it's still, yeah, yeah. It was hilarious, but I'd probably do the same thing. But, but, but you know, no, yeah. And, and, but, but here's, you could go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and see its depths and see the beauty of it and the majesty of it and the Colorado River winding through it. And you could look at that and experience it firsthand. It would be so much different than me just simply telling you about the Grand Canyon. And that's what this word means to know is not just information you got in a classroom or we just simply did a Bible study. And I'm a teacher, I love to teach the word of God, but it's gotta be more to you and I than just information we receive and learn. Because an encounter with Jesus doesn't just come from a classroom, but happens as you step into the throne room. That's why prayer and worship and, and all of the things, all of that together, it's how we encounter the reality of the presence of God in our lives that you may know. See, if I don't experience his love for myself, if I don't receive and experience forgiveness, experience freedom, all I may have is a good argument. But what I've found is that I was once blind and now I see I was once broken and, 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 and bound. And Jesus changed everything. Yeah. And I, I gotta be honest with you. There's no argument someone could make 
that could tell me otherwise because I've experienced firsthand the goodness of a savior named Jesus. That he rescued me and raised me and changed my life forever. And that's what he's pointing to is that eternal life is not just that we go somewhere when we die, but it's also that we know him for ourselves. In fact, the key to experiencing life is actually knowing Jesus for ourselves. Number two, if you're taking notes, I'm gonna go through these next two much quicker, but here's number two, trust Jesus fully. We need to see Jesus more fully, but we also need to do what this man does. Bartimaeus is on the roadside. He's got his garment, maybe it's laid before him. And when he sees, and he, or when he sees, when he hears about Jesus, edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> when he hears about Jesus, here's what he does. He rises up, he calls out to him. He says, Jesus, Jesus stands still, calls for the man. And what does Bartimaeus do? He takes his garment that he's dependent on that he uses every day of his life and he tosses it to the side because trust is as much about what you leave behind as as much as what you move towards. Trust is as much about where you put your faith as it is about what you surrender, about what you let go of and what you take hold of. Bartimaeus throws aside his garment because what he's about to step up to is going to change his life because when Jesus is on the road, everything is different. I no longer need this. He casts it to the side. He lays it down, the very thing. In fact, what is he doing? He's forsaking dependence upon any other thing and he's putting his full trust in that moment, not probably having a full picture of what Jesus could or would do in that moment, but he lays it all aside and he steps forward to Jesus. You know what he could have done? He could have walked up and he could have told Jesus about how all of the other disciples mistreated him. He could have told Jesus, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? Well, let me tell you about all these knuckleheads that just told me to be quiet. He could have rehearsed his story and gotten sympathy from people around. And sometimes that's all we're, we're we're just, we're, 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 so used to the pain of our circumstance that we're content. In fact, it's actually become part of our identity. We say things like, this is my pain. This is my anxiety. This is my issue. This is my depression. This is my fear. This is my captivity. And we hold on to it. And now we no longer see ourselves apart from the issue. It's become who we are. And that's what this man could have done. He could have easily told his story and I'm sure everyone present would have felt sorry for him. But you know what Jesus does? Is he doesn't offer sympathy, he offers compassion. Do you know what compassion is? Compassion involves an action. Compassion finds us in our broken place and doesn't leave us there. Oh, I, I know sympathy is what you feel when the commercial comes on and the poor dogs are there at the, the, and, and you hear the arms of the angels by Sarah McLaughlin. And, and, but compassion is what my wife did to my everlasting regret when she rescued our dog from the shelter. And now he lives like a king and takes my spot on the bed. Um, compassion actually does something. It's not just that I feel sorry Because if that man had only been offered sympathy, it wouldn't have changed his life. But what Jesus offered him, he says, what do you want me to do for you? In fact, why would Jesus say something so obvious? 
I believe it's because he's stirring something in the man. Because the man could have asked for anything and maybe that's what he would have gotten. I just want somebody to help me. He could have said that. I just want somebody to mourn with me. I want somebody to come alongside me and that would have been fine. But what does he say? Jesus, I want my sight. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Jesus calls something outside of him, out of his heart, out of the innermost parts of who he is. It says, you don't have to stay here anymore. Jesus heals him. And I believe that there's many people still to this day, Jesus is on the road and they're on the roadside and they're not willing to do what this man has done. This man takes his garment and he casts it aside. He gives Jesus his absolute trust and yes before he even experiences the miracle. As long as we hold on to something, so see some of us are still holding on to what's behind us holding on to our past, holding on to our fears. We're still holding on to our mistakes. We're still holding on to the very things that have kept us captive. And in this moment, he lays it all aside and he goes all in for Jesus. He puts his trust in Jesus. Number three, and the final point is this, we need to follow Jesus fully. I love the end of this passage. This man is healed. And if, if I'm putting myself in Bartimaeus' shoes for a minute, I've been listening to people on the road coming by me every day of my life, passing by and, and offering and giving money and talking about their business and talking about where they're from and some people coming and saying, have you been to Rome? Have you seen its majesty? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you been down to Egypt and seen the pyramid? Like there's all these people describing where they're from and where they're going and their experiences. And I'm sure the man had a bucket list. If I ever could see, I would see that. And I don't know, maybe he's on the roadside and he's thinking, if I would just be able to see, I would go back home. I'd go to, man, I don't know if he's from Jericho or not. That's where he is. He's probably from Jericho. Maybe he wanted to go back to the city instead of begging by the roadside. I don't know what his list was, but he could have done any of those things now that he was healed. But instead, here's what he does. He exchanges his plan and his list and even probably his own dreams in that moment for something far greater. He begins to follow the healer. He follows Jesus on the road. A lot of us, if we're honest, in fact, that's what happens with Jesus he heals, he sets free, feeds the multitude, does all that. And many are just content simply with experiencing a miracle from Jesus. He saved them. He healed them, he set them free. And then they go back. They go back to their homes. They go back to their cities. They go back to the same habits that brought them there in the first place. They go back to the same mindsets, the same cultures, the same environments that put them on the roadside all at the start. And he could have done all of that. He could have just gone back, but instead he goes forward with Jesus and he follows him on the road. In fact, I believe there's a lot of things that define what it means to be a Christian. But I think the number one thing that defines us as Christians is not even just that we read our Bibles and not just that we pray and not even that we go to church. But if you see what Jesus did with his earliest followers, it was in their relationship and closeness to Jesus that they followed him on the road that their lives were changed. That what God did for them freely, their response was to follow him. 
I think that's what it means to be a disciple. It's not just that we gain information and we learn all the right theology. That's good, necessary. But what if we learn the stuff, but we never follow the person? One last word study, bear with me. The word follow, it's used here and this story and used elsewhere, like when the disciples left their nets, Peter and his brother Andrew left their fishing business on the most successful day they ever had. It says they forsook all and followed. So word follow that means, and I won't try to pronounce the word because it was in that Greek class that I skipped when I skipped seminary. <laughs> That's a joke. Anyway, um, they didn't teach me that at ASU. Uh, but but here's, here's what, this word means, it means to be united on the same road. Like we're close, we're united on the same road. Where Jesus is walking, that's where I'm walking. The direction Jesus is heading is the direction my life is heading. The steps that he's taking are the steps that I'm taking. And he's leading my life and he's doing something new. I think one of the most repeated analogies throughout the Bible is the idea that God's our shepherd. In fact, Jesus would say that I'm the shepherd, the great shepherd who lays my life down for the sheep. And when he tells that story, he's saying, we're the sheep. Now, I, I wish he had said, you know, we're the wolf pack, something tough. Like, like we're the I mean, I'll take a rhinoceros, like anything that actually can put up a fight. And yes, there's a spiritual battle, all those things. But he uses the picture of sheep. Do you know what is unique about sheep? I mean, there's lots of animals like this, but, but, but sheep have no ability to fight back. <laughs> They're absolutely helpless without the shepherd. In fact, that's one of the primary roles of the shepherd is to lead the sheep, protect the sheep, and provide for the sheep. What would it look like to follow Jesus in your life? It would look like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack a thing. He's my forgiveness. He's my freedom. He's my healer. He's my provider. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He guides me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he never says when I, following Jesus means living a life that's problem free. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In other words, all of us are walking through life, walking through difficulty, walking through seasons that are tough, but the difference for the person who follows Jesus is you know he's gonna lead you through. He's gonna guide, he's gonna protect, he's gonna shelter. And he's gonna get you to the destination. The question is, are we following on the same road? Bartimaeus follows Jesus in the direction that Jesus is going because the Christian life means a new direction. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to what once held me captive. I'm not going back to the things that once held my heart. I'm not putting Jesus on the same level as other stuff and other love and other interests, but I'm following him united on the same road. Can I tell you, I've never once regretted following Jesus on the same road. Anytime I tried to take a detour, I usually regretted that. I'm so thankful for the goodness of God and bringing me back and bringing us back to him. I'm gonna pray with you if you would mind standing to your feet.
follow Jesus fully is the adventure of a lifetime. It's actually what we were created for. To follow the author, to discover his plan and his purpose, instead of being led by, like I, if I'm gonna let something or someone lead my life, I wanna make sure they at least see the direction ahead. <laughs> the world gives answers, but it doesn't have answers. Are you with me? And we just talked about relationships. I'm probably not gonna get relationship advice from the person who's had like 10 dumpster fires in their last 10 relationships. Are you with me? Like, like I'm not gonna have somebody who doesn't know how to treat a woman tell me how to treat my wife. But the world is looking for answers in a world that's broken. That is the blind leading the blind. Jesus comes along and says, I have healing, freedom. I'll show you what you were created for. I'm holding it all together. And the Jesus that we follow understands everything we go through. He's fully God, but he's not distant. The Bible says that he's fully man, that he's a faithful high priest who is able to not just sympathize with our infirmities, but he's experienced and been tested and tempted at all points yet with, without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected, what it's like to be hurt by others, what it's like to have others walk out. He knows what it's like to be under pressure. And so Jesus can come alongside us and he can help us, but he doesn't just leave us with sympathy. He gives compassion and he heals and he restores. I'm asking to bow your heads. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.